Hi, I'm Jenny. I'm a mom and the founder and chief creative officer of Author Accelerator. I'm Melanie. I'm a mom and a writer, and I'm pitching my first novel. Hi, I'm Abby. I'm a mom and a writer pitching my first middle grades novel. Welcome to Mom Writes. This season is all about the ups and downs of pitching. Join us as we prepare to pitch, weather rejections, change course, and hopefully celebrate getting agented. Mom Writes, as always, is sponsored by Author Accelerator, a book coach certification company. If you're a writer and you've ever been jealous of the amazing coaching experience that Melanie and I have had over the course of the last two hundred and fifty podcast episodes, why not head over to AuthorAccelerator.com, where they'll match you with one of their certified book coaches based on your project and your goals. The matching service is free. Or if you've ever listened to one of our episodes and thought, man, Jenny's job is the dream. I want to help writers bring their books to life. Well, Author Accelerator also trains book coaches in their certification program. They have courses for coaching fiction and nonfiction and a course on the business of book coaching. You can sign up for their free all about book coaching video series at www.bookcoaches.com forward slash ABC. And now buckle up for this emotional roller coaster on season three of Mom Writes as we take on pitching. Welcome to Pitching in a Pandemic. This morning, Jenny was eating breakfast on Zoom, which we realized is now like a totally normal thing that one does, uh, eating breakfast on Zoom while you're at work or at school. And it was a great segue into Pitching in a Pandemic. So how has the pandemic affected pitching? Is there something we need to be doing differently? Uh, we'll discuss that today. Welcome back to Mom Writes Pandemic Style. Bell's teacher during this pandemic, it was so funny. It was so, she was just, Bell adjusted to the idea of video calls like this. And her teacher did not. And so it was first grade, right? She is in first grade, but it took her about three days to figure out. She only had to get dressed from the waist up. (laughs) And she only had to brush her hair in the front. (laughs) So I would watch her from behind on her video calls for school and the front of her hair would be nice and combed and the back would be this giant rat's nest right here. (laughs) And she'd be wearing her pajama pants with like a regular top. But her teacher's big thing was you don't eat breakfast on the call. Oh, gosh, that's my big one, right? I was like, why can't, like, has she ever been on a call with people? I'm like, all you have to do is mute yourself and eat your breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) No, everything became so, I had a a doctor's appointment with a a neurologist for my migraine. And um, she was at home. There was a cat on her lap. And and there was a kid, a very small child, I think, crying in the background. I was like, well, this is something you would never have. (laughs) It was great. I loved it. (laughs) So, I mean, there is a good segue for us into pitching in a pandemic. Um, I know we didn't talk about that in our opening sessions and it because it's kind of becoming normal, which is sad, right? Yeah. Like, here we are. This is the new, because we're right now, we're well into it. But um, 
Yeah. Do you have any thoughts about, about pitching in a pandemic? Like, what are your feelings about it? I mean, so I had read this really interesting article about what to write during a pandemic, but I've not actually read anything about pitching in a pandemic. And the article was in the writer and they were talking about, should you be essentially changing the norm in your story based on what norms are right now? And they were essentially what I got out of the article was no, because when people are living through a trauma, they don't want to read about it. They want to read happy, light, fun things. And I was like, oh, good, because I'm writing happy, light, fun, funny things. And like that, but I mean, maybe, maybe my book will sell easier now because it's not serious and it's not heavy. It's, it's something that essentially a kid could use to escape from this weird reality of what school is now. Um, totally. Well, and what's weird is that like I was listening to, um, a Terry, Terry Gross interview on Fresh Air on NPR. And it was, a, it's a little old, but it was, I mean, little, meaning like a few weeks, a month or so, mm-hmm. but, but there was a woman who had written, and I can't remember her name or the name of her book, but um, <laughs> she had written a book about a pandemic. It was, she's a scientist. It's a nonfiction book. And she had written it three years ago. And, um, you know, she's become this media darling because she happened to write a book three years ago about the pandemic. And you know what we forget is, is like your book. So here we are right now in fall 2020, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think I mean, that's where today. There, there's a very good chance that your book wouldn't come out until if you sold it tomorrow, that your, mm-hmm. your book would be on the shelves maybe fall 2022 but probably not yeah 2022 and who knows what's gonna what the world's gonna be like in 2022 like you can't yeah and I've I've not worried about things like oh like I heard some writers saying if you're writing about kids at school do they need to have masks on do they need to move their desks apart and I'm like no because Uh, to me, like the thought of just changing that felt utterly ridiculous because think about the Spanish flu. I mean, that rocked this country for, you know, years, two, three years. And then I had never heard of the Spanish flu until recently. <laughs> and so, you know, I figure at some point school is going to be school again. It It's going to look different, not that they're wearing masks. I think what's going to look different is the technology involved in school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, but part of my book is this girl's dad is like no technology. And so, you know, she's, she's kind of behind the eight ball there anyway. <laughs> that's part of the book. That's actually really cool. Yeah. Cause the dad, I'm sure that, well, I don't know. I have my mother's husband what does that make him my stepfather my stepfather I mean I've been married for 17 years (laughs) but it's the guy with the face yeah I think it was my mother's husband but um excuse me I had a little tickle in my throat um he you know he's 81 um he's he talks about like 
I, he says to me, I hope you're not spending time on that Zoom. You know, because <laughs> it's like so evil and so bad. And and he'll and he'll say, you know, my doctor wanted to to do a thing over Zoom with me. I'm not falling into that. You know, he's just totally not going there. And I'm sure there's people, younger people that are like that, don't you think? I think, but if you think about this too, and, and this thought was just now occurring to me as we're talking, but you know, one of my all time favorites is Judy Bloom and the Super Fudge series. And I mean, that book takes place in what, like the eighties in New York city. And to me, it's just as relevant today as it was back then. And no, none of the kids have cell phones in that story. I mean, no one has a cell phone. No one has a computer in their house. No one's on social media. No one's doing any of those things because that's not the point of the story. And so I think as long as, you know, the point of your story is maybe a little more universal or evergreen, then it doesn't, you know, those details about masks and social distancing, it's not going to matter in, in the end. But No, totally. So, you know, and I think there's also this whole thing about um, you can't write to the market exactly, you know? So that's, that's like, oh, um, when Twilight came out, all the vampires, you know, you can't be like, oh, vampires are hot. I'm going to write about vampires now and sell my vampire series. Like, it just doesn't work like that because by the time you're selling that book, something else has come up. And if you're not really into vampires, you know, it's not... You can't gonna, fake it. You can't fake it. And, you know, so you can't kind of out-guess it or second-guess. You have to write what you're called to write and what you want to write and what works for you. And, and that's part of what makes it universal. And... Your story felt, you know, I came back to it for the first time and um, it felt really fresh and alive and, and now, and, you know, I didn't for a second think, but wait, why are those kids standing next to each other at the laptop, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I think topically your story is totally fine. Um, and in terms of, of pitching, like, um, I am logistically. Yeah, I mean, I've just been obviously reading everything that comes out, and it's funny. It's there's just no consensus. Some people are saying, "Don't pitch." Agents are so busy working from home, dealing with their kids, juggling all the things, learning how to do. You know, I mean, the editorial side has been able to be remote work for a long time because of what we do. It's just like what you and I do, right? We work on pages and we can send them to people by email. So that's not disrupted, but the, all the other processes in publishing were, were not as used to remote or not as conducive to it. And, you know, even just the, um, pub board meetings at a publisher when they, when all the people, the stakeholders get together to make their decisions about money and everything. Those were happening for the first time for that group online. So like they're all getting used to it and getting their feet under them, like every industry. And so I just, I heard both sides, like don't pitch us. We're too, we're too overwhelmed. We're too busy. We're dealing with our own clients. It's not the time. And then other people saying, I'm just at home. You guys pitch me, pitch me, pitch me. You know, like, 
So I have an interesting question about that. I mean, because the way I see it, my time is right now, regardless of anything else that's going on. This just happens to be when I finish my book and when I'm ready to pitch. And so I can't, I can't worry about it. I mean, I can always hold on to it and pitch later if, you know, something happens. But so if they're all working from home, and let me see if I can formulate this question in a way that I communicate it correctly. Um, I've been looking at, let me back up a little. I've been looking at two different types of agents. You kind of had your older, more established agents, right? Who have all the connections. And then you have your, like your young scrappy ones that like they want to get out there and like they want to work and they want to, they want to have the next best thing too. If everything now is remote and it's all changing and they're not, do you really want, do you want to pitch the person that's already got the connections? Is that maybe the best strategy? I see what you're saying. Well, I mean, first of all, then the first thing that you always want is just to make sure that they're open for submissions, whoever they are. And they'll indicate Mm -hmm. that people who are not open for submissions on their website will clearly say, not open for submissions, or they'll say only open to uh, referrals, which which would be um, if you met them at a conference, if you know someone they know, that type of thing. So they'll clearly state if they're open or not. If if they're open, um, you know you you can you can pitch to anyone. And the thing to remember is that becoming an agent is an apprentice it's an apprentice business and there aren't a ton of those left in the world really, but, yeah. but, but that one, a hundred percent, you can't go to school literally anywhere to learn how to be an agent. It is, there's not a degree in being an agent. It's not, you know, you don't get a credential. There is no agent certification. So you learn to be an agent by, by coming up through the ranks and, so, so a new agent, somebody who you, you're identifying as like scrappy, yeah. maybe on their own, maybe, maybe young, maybe not young. Sometimes people will spend decades on the publishing side, like as an editor, and then they'll decide to go out and be an agent and it'll look like they're brand new. They have no clients or they have like two or, you know, you're like, what is this? And then you dig a little and you realize, oh, they were like head of whatever at, you know, Athenaeum Books for Young Readers or something and, and acquired books for two, you know, two dozen years and they just have come to the other side. Or you'll see what, well, with a young person, you'll typically see they'll apprentice with an agent. They often bounce around from agency to agency and and then they decide it's time to either start taking their own clients. So they might be working at a big agency and they were working for a big agent. And then that, that, that um, office decided, okay, you can take writers on yourself now. And, you know, they're going to have all of the support and the systems and the expertise and the wisdom of the, all the people around them. So sometimes that can be a really excellent um, opportunity for a new writer to, because they're like you say, they're scrappy, they're hungry, they're ready. And, and they, they totally know what they're doing. So, you know, and, and everyone in the industry is going to know like, Oh, there's Sally, you know, she, 
apprenticed with, I don't know, Wendy Sherman, you know, a big agent mm-hmm. and a big agency and, and we know them and respect them. And, you know, so sometimes it's not exactly what it seems. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I typically think that you just want to pay attention to fit and not so much worry about, we talked about that a little last time, like, oh, it's a, a big agent who represents big famous authors or they're at a big famous agency or they're new and on their own or like you only want to pay attention to those things in so far as, you know, your preference for a professional relationship um, you know, if, if you're pitching to a big agent at a big agency, she might have an assistant who gets back to you and answers the phone and you never get to speak to her or rarely, or mm-hmm. you have to get in line behind Michelle Obama, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's more structural concerns. Whereas, you know, if there's a solopreneur who's running her own shop and it's a boutique agency and she only takes X number of clients, you're going to have a different type of relationship with her. But in terms of their ability to do what you need to do with your book and sell what you need to sell, I mean, any of those kinds of agents will be able to do it. So I've, I've had, I've been kind of torn um, because as I'm, researching these agents. There's been an agent who's been on my list since you and I did the creative live thing with the query letter. So that's been what, like two years ago? Yeah. I found this agent and he started out, okay, and you can just laugh, but it's his bio that makes me want to have him as my agent. He started out as like a stuntman in Hollywood. And then he became an agent. And if you read his bio, it's like hilarious. And it sounds like he's the male version of me, which could just be dangerous to put us together. Because I mean, either we'll end up in jail or like nothing ever gets written. Or like, uh, because there's part of me that, that thinks I need a wrangler. Yeah, like, I need somebody who is going to say to me, like, like be my mom and just sit there and say, sit down. You need to write. This is what I want you to do. And I'll be like, okay. And then I can just do it. You know, I don't, I don't know that I need a best friend, but yeah. there's something about this guy that his bio speaks to me. And I'm like, I feel like he would get me you know, in a very different way than say like Nancy Galt, who we talked about last episode would get me. Um, and, but again, like when I look at like the list of books that he's put out, none of those books speak to me. Interesting. And so does he represent the type of book you write though? He does. He, He does do middle grades. Um, But it's like books about sharks and books about basketball and like, you know, things that aren't anything like they, this is going to sound terrible to say they sound like boy books. If there's such a thing, there is such a thing. No, there's totally such a thing. There's some writers who have made a huge name and career for themselves in, in writing books specifically or in in targeting specifically for young boy readers because it's so important to hook young boy Mm -hmm. readers particularly you know 
Um, so are those books, do you know, did you see, is, is this agent, are his writers selling to the big imprints? You know what? I need to go back and dig it up again because I, he was not. What's after his name? I, okay. His name is Alex Shane. See, and I'm on my iPad and I don't know how to work my iPad, sadly, and do Zoom. So no, I'm going to look it up. Okay. Look <laughs> it up and see, because I actually haven't looked at what books he's repped recently and maybe there's been a change. Um, but none of the books I had ever heard of that were on his list, except maybe one might have been called Sharknado, which cracks me up too. But. Um, <laughs> so this is the the work that you're um, doing and that we're doing exactly the, right now is what research is. It's mm-hmm. asking these questions. It's looking up all these fiddly little things. It's just tons of Googling um, so what I came up with immediately for him was, um, the entry on manuscript wish list, mm-hmm. uh, which is a fabulous place to start. And, um, okay. So he's at writer's house, which is a big agency with a lot of, um, a lot of agents. Um, okay. So he says he doesn't want straight sci-fi or high fantasy, neither of which you're writing. Uh, I see a huge Patriots fan, huge dog guy. Do you see that? Yep. And I used to live a stone's throw from the Patriots, uh, (laughs) Patriots stadium. Oh, I can see why you love him. I'm about 60% sure I saw a ghost once. That's, that's totally, oh, I see. Um, He hates wine. I hate wine. He hates cheese. cheese. The only cheese I really like is queso or the occasional (laughs) pizza. Oh, that's so funny. Okay, so now what I'm going to do is... uh, Oh, I see the books. Um, Oh, he says, I'd like the next roll doll. (gasps) Oh... And he's one that I love. I put the BFG in my book and then I took him out of my book. And then I say all the time I want to be Raoul Dahl. I say that all the time. I want to be a lot of different people, but he's on my <laughs> short list. People I want to be. So um, I'm now going to the Writer's House website. And again, this is what you do. You bounce around from... Um, like the databases that list agents to the websites off out to Google, you know, looking for people. And curiously, I'm not seeing him on their, Oh, here on their list. Oh, wait. Oh, okay. Interesting. They call him a junior agent. So that's what I mean. There's this whole list of senior agents. Then there's a list of, straight agents then there's a list of junior agents so so he's pretty far down there and he's been far down there for the last two years because yeah he's getting ready to move up or how long do you stay a junior agent i mean it just depends so at this is writer's house is one of the really big agencies so they probably have a really um established system for moving people up. But this is exactly what we were talking about that um, now just judging from his picture, um, 
Oh, he moved to L.A. to become a professional stuntman and then moved to New York City in 2008 to pursue a career in publishing. It's 2020. So he's been in this for... 12 years? 12 years. So he probably started out as like an intern, you know, reading Mm -hmm. manuscripts. And, you know, so he's moved his way up. So this is exactly what I'm talking about. I see middle grades on there is that it would be silly to ignore someone like that because, Oh, they, they're not, you know, the, the marquee name at this agency. It's a really good agency with an excellent reputation and excellent agents above him. You know, he's got mentors and, you know, all that sort of thing. I think, I think it's a fabulous person. to Also Julie arts, vouches for him because she met him once at a conference and tells a very stand-up story about him in a bar that I won't repeat here. <laughs> <laughs> well, Julie Arts is one of other accelerators, certified coaches, um, and she was head of uh, the Pacific Northwest SCBWI, and she is a, a writer herself. She's a very um, deep into the industry know-how and I would totally trust her. Um, So what's interesting is a lot of the um, um, interviews and things he has done were were like four or five years ago. Um, There's nothing super, super new. Oh, so in in 19... You know what's so irritating about the Google is... (laughs) (laughs) is you land on an agent I mean a website and it's really hard to tell what year the article was written you know Mm -hmm. what I mean it's you have Mm -hmm. to dig but okay so in 2014 which was six years ago it says Alec is now aggressively building his own list um on the on the fiction side mystery thriller suspense horror historical fiction, literary fiction, and books geared towards young male readers. Um, so that, that makes sense that he would have that. That was when he was building his list. Um, but there is no reason why you can't write to him and say, I was just tickled by your bio. Um, I want to be the next world doll. You know, my book is for girls and boys. There's a freaking pirate rat in the first couple pages. I mean, that right there, I think. And I've taken out all the romance, which is the other girly thing. I, I did find that even though I wrote my book for a girl with a girl as the main character, when I read it out loud to the kids' classes, the boys are actually the ones that want to talk to me about it more than the girls. Aww. So I think I could very easily speak to both audiences, even though that wasn't necessarily my intent to begin with. I, totally. Totally. So know, I found something else here. Is This is a, our, an interview from 2017. Um, and and um, a writer... Oh, shoot. I just lost it. Wait. Oh, shoot. How did I just lose it? Now I got to go to my history and find it. Um, Oh, here it is. (laughs) There was some good stuff here. Um, 
this writer is interviewing him and he says, Alec Shane is a literary agent with Writer's House, one of the largest literary agencies in the world. Da, 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 da. So by large agency, it's what I was talking about before. They have um, foreign and sub rights departments right in it, you know, all of it right there. He says, Alec says, I began my career at Writer's House as an intern in September 2008. See, I guessed that mm-hmm. and simply refused to leave. So I was given the wonderful job of assistant to Jody Reamer, who represents Stephanie Meyer and John Green. There you go. Others. I'm now also in the process of actively building my own list and currently represent a fairly eclectic mix of children's and adult fiction and nonfiction. So, um, so that's exactly what I was talking about. He was an assistant to a uber famous, you know, um, (laughs) agent, um, with uber famous writers and, you know, and, and he was obviously great at it because they kept him on. So he's, he's just a perfect candidate. So this is the kind of work you want to do for every single agent on your list. And it, and it's just like, um, it's just like a treasure hunt. You're just sort of looking for clues, looking for things, trying to figure out why this person, why this agency, what speaks to me and all these things you're talking about. And I said, it was more art than science. This is exactly what I mean. It's like, Mm -hmm. He just speaks to you. It's like, whatever. And, it, you know, he's not saying specifically, I'm looking for exactly what you wrote, Abby. But, you know, it, it kind of is totally in the ballpark. ballpark. Um, so the big question to ask, which maybe we'll have to talk about next episode, we'll leave it as a cliffhanger. <laughs> the question is, do you, are you so taken with this particular agent that you want to 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 him exclusively first. Should we leave oh. that as a cliffhanger? That can be our cliffhanger. Okay. <laughs> I'll think about it. That's my homework. <laughs> we'll pick it up next episode. <laughs>